Okay. So you're telling me that you have over 175 episodes of a podcast where you talk about forgotten films that seem to be forgotten by audiences? Whether it be because a more popular movie was released at the same time, or the film simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run? Yeah, man, I'm telling you, it's awesome. We release every Wednesday. Well, I mean, we used to before you dragged me to hell. <sighs> about that. Well, now I'm rethinking the whole thing. I'm wondering if I should... Shut the hell up! I release you from this unholy contract and send you back to Earth, Michael Butler, so that you can join Mike Field and finish up at least 200 episodes of Forgotten Cinema. Oh, okay, but, like, we're almost there, so what happens after I get to 200? <laughs> You'll see. What I wrote down. <laughs> I think it was one of the first horror movies I put on our list, and just watching it again, I was just like, I made a mistake. And Jesse Eisenberg's name popped up. <laughs> Jesse Eisenberg? No! Who did you think played the brother? Makes out with Jimmy for no reason. <laughs> Jimmy didn't earn that kiss. He did. Where we're going, you don't need us. Here's the fourth annual Forgotten Horror. Boo. <laughs> Take it or leave it. Hi, I'm Mike Butler. And I'm Mike Field. And you're now entering the house of the devil. The apartment of the damned and the shanty town of lost souls. Welcome to the fourth annual Forgotten Horror. Each episode will discuss a film that was forgotten by audiences. Perhaps they were too busy running from the ghosts of murdered children. Maybe they were bitten by a strange creature and like to howl at the moon. Or maybe they're being terrorized by an ancient wooden fetish doll. We'll discuss what we love about the movie or maybe don't love about it but we'll always recommend you revisit it. If you're not getting sucked into an event horizon and ripping your skin from your face, we want to hear from you. We're on Instagram and Facebook. Find us. Or we'll find you. Our podcast is available on all platforms for your listening displeasure. What's going on? <laughs> oh, sorry. I interrupted you. Oh, that's right. No, that's fine. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so Nothing. Like, Just quick. Oh, go tearing, ahead, my, go ahead. tearing my eyeballs out. Yeah, we're I leaving. love tearing out eyeballs. <laughs> Who doesn't? You don't need where we're going. You don't need us. Oh my God. I wanted to make that the tagline. Like I, I redo the poster with that tagline. <laughs> um, so just as fast as it began, it quickly ends. Another uh, season of Forgotten Horror. Always here. does. Wasn't the first annual one like five, five episodes? It, it was. It was like one of those um, years where the five weeks uh, fell or on on like um, the Wednesday. Yeah, fell on that month, but never, never since it has never gone back. <sighs> <laughs> That's why every forget every forgotten horror after that has seemed kind of shorter. It's it is the fifth one did the the first one excuse me did obviously felt longer because it was five episodes plus it was our first one and we were kind of like you know woo jazz podcasting and all that stuff <laughs> our now first we're just, seasonal themed yeah. season yeah now we're just grizzled old men <laughs> <laughs> here's the fourth annual forgotten horror boo <laughs> take it or leave it <laughs> all right so uh, we are doing if you probably haven't guessed it already we are doing the uh, I was just gonna guess the year it was the 1997 <laughs> film Event Horizon. So let me give you that synopsis. When the event horizon, a spacecraft that vanished years earlier, suddenly reappears, a team is dispatched to investigate the ship. Accompanied by the event horizon's creator, William Ware, the crew of the Lewis and Clark led by Captain Miller begins to explore the seemingly abandoned vessel. However, it soon becomes evident that something sinister resides in its corridors and that the horrors that befell the event horizon's previous journey are still present. 
Pookies. <laughs> the Event Horizon is a runtime of 96 minutes. It's rated R. Production budget of $60 million. It came out on August 15th, 1997, and it's opening weekend, it did $9.5 million. Domestic, it did $26.6 million. International, $16 million. And worldwide, $42 million. I think it did a lot of money on home box office, which I could not get those numbers. No, but didn't one of the producers basically tell him, Hey, this did a ton of money. Yeah, that was, that's, that's like they almost we'll get, apologized to him. <laughs> we'll get it. We'll get into yeah. all that stuff that, at, but that's why what, what we get into after is why, because of the, how successful it was. Production company was Paramount Pictures, Goler Productions and Impact Pictures. And it was distributed by Paramount Pictures. It came out on the 15th. It went up against Copland, which I saw in the theater. Steel and the Full Monty. I did see Event Horizon in the theater as well. So that was a busy week, I guess, for me. I don't um, remember if I saw that in the theater or not, Event Horizon. Event Horizon? I know I saw it in the theater. Um, I don't know. I think it I want to say it was a showcase Milford film. Uh, the 22nd of August, the week after, you had Mimic. Uh, Mr. Funny Shoes, Money Talks, G.I. Jane, Suck My Dick, Leave It to Beaver, and Masterminds. <laughs> I always, I mean, obviously everyone remembers that line from G.I. Jane. And in a limited release that week, A Smile Like Yours and Pippi Longstocking. On August 8th, the week before, you had Conspiracy Theory, Free Willy 3, The Rescue, and How to Be a Player. And didn't they free Willy in the other two? Yeah, but like you got more Willies to free, man. <laughs> is it? Is it? It's <laughs> the same Willy, right? It's the same Orca? Uh, I don't think he's the same Orca in Free Willy 3. What? They recast it? I think I think it's like, yeah, we'll use the same title, but now we're saving a different whale. I not, think. I know Free Willy 2 is definitely the same whale. Free Willy 2 has the Michael Jackson song, right? No, not, Free Willy 1 has it, the Michael Jackson song. You mean Free Willy? <laughs> yes. No, they renamed it. It's uh, it's no longer Free Willy. It's called Humpback Whale it's, and the Freeing of Willy. A, oh, that's a shot at Indiana Jones if I ever heard one. But I, and I agree with that. I, I was going to say, I know you hate that they renamed it. I can't. Them. It's not Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, Ark. It's Raiders of the Lost Ark. You can't go back <laughs> and rename films. <laughs> All right. Directed by Paul... W.S. Anderson, not to be confused with the other P.T. Anderson or Wes Anderson. He has done the 1995 movie Mortal Kombat, which we did on the show first season, second season, second season, second season. He also has done Alien vs. Predator and the entirety of the Resident Evil movie series, I believe. Right. He's done all of those ones with Miljovovich. Yeah, he became he's like your go to bad video game movie guy. Mortal we'll Kombat. In, yep. We'll uh, get into that. There yeah. is an evil then Monster Hunter. Mm hmm. Well, he does everything with his wife. He's married to Jovovich. Yeah, well, I, I would put her in everything as well if I was the director. <laughs> hey, honey, you want to do this movie? All right. I did, not, I did not remember he did Alien vs. Predator. I actually don't hate that movie. The first one? It's not a good movie, but it has a lot of really good unrealized ideas. Mm -hmm. Well, we'll get into it. <laughs> <laughs> Written by Philip Eisner, who's done Mutant Chronicles, Sweet Girl, and the TV movie Firestarter Rekindled from 2002. I don't know if it's a movie or a TV show. I think that was a, that was a sci-fi channel TV show. Was it? Last oh, too long, yeah. Cinematography was Adrian Biddle, who's uh, nominated for an Oscar for Thelma and Louise. He's also done Aliens and Reign of Fire, which is an episode we did. Composer was two composers, Orbital and Michael Kamen. Orbital is a band in, uh, I think, the UK. Mm -hmm. uh, they've done Pusher and they, they recently did the TV show, The Pentaveret, Mike Myers show on uh, Netflix, right? It's on Netflix. Yeah. The show that disappeared as quickly as it came. Yeah. I wanted to watch it, but 
I'm kind of thinking that maybe it's not, I shouldn't, <laughs> it's not good or something. <laughs> Came in as nominated for two Oscars, one for Don Juan DeMarco and Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. He's also done Open Range, which is a movie we did as well. Edited by Martin Hunter, who's done Full Metal Jacket, the 1996 movie, The Arrival, the one where we, you look like a can of smashed assholes, according to Charlie Sheen. And uh, <laughs> he also did Underworld. And then produced by Jeremy Bolt, Lawrence Gordon and Lloyd Levin. Bolt has done the Resident Evil series and movie Death Race. Gordon has done, he's nominated for an Oscar for Field of Dreams. And more recently, he has produced Prey. And then Levin has done Boogie Nights and United 93. What's funny is that it's not a big cast because I know I remember I was like, okay, we're watching Event Horizon. I always just like, ah, it's got a, I know everyone is got a big cast, but that's it. Those are the only people in it. So it's not a big cast. Not one of our bigger casted films. Right. Yeah. It's a very tight, it's like an alien film. It's a very yeah, small yeah. crew goes to a desolate ship kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. So you had Lawrence Fishburne as Captain Miller, who uh, was nominated for an Oscar for What's Love Got to Do With It. He's also obviously in The Matrix and in the TV show Blackish. Sam He's Neill in is, The Matrix? Who does he play in The he Matrix? Is. He <laughs> plays Neo. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sam Neill as Weir, who is in Jurassic Park, obviously, The Piano, Dead Calm. And uh, he is Damien in The Final Conflict, which used to be called Omen the Four, The Final Con- Omen Three, or just Omen the Final Conflict. But they changed that. Well, I guess you can change the titles. Of That's movies, right. Brother, man. That's wrong. right. I was he's wrong. also in Peaky Blinders, which is, he's awesome in Peaky Blinders. He's in the first season though, right? First two seasons. First, I don't remember. See, I've, it's been so long that I forgot that. I totally forgot that, but you're right. Hmm. Interesting. Kathleen Quinlan as Peters. She's nominated for an Oscar for Apollo 13. She's also in The Doors, Breakdown, a movie we did, and American Graffiti, a movie we did for Forgotten February, I believe, for Forgotten Takeover. Yes. Right? Yeah. We did it. Yep. Pied of Comics. Forgotten February. February, yeah. Yeah. Jolie Richardson as Stark. She's in the TV show series Nip Tuck. She also did is Red Sparrow and The Patriot. Richard T. Jones as Cooper from the TV show The Rookie, the movie Super 8 and Vantage Boy. Jack Noseworthy as Justin, and I will forever know him from the TV show Dead at 21. That was on MTV because that was like one of their first scripted shows back in the 90s or late 80s. Uh, he is also in U571 and the movie Alive. Jason Isaacs as DJ. He's in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire and moving forward. He's because he's obviously Lucian Malfoy. Uh, he's also in The Patriot and The Death of Stalin. And then the only other credit here is the is Claire. Is Holly Chant as Claire, which is Sam Neill's dead wife who keeps appearing to him. Mm-hmm. She's in The Crow City of Angels and the movie Other Voices. So, Butler, when was the last time you saw this? Um, I've probably seen the movie two or three times way back when it was on TV more often. Mm -hmm. And I don't have cable, so I don't know how recently it was, but it's fresh in my mind that not too, too long ago, I had seen most of the ending on television. So in the theater, but, um, seen bits and pieces of it. I always remember, obviously the we're leaving line, cause I think that's the, that's that's the line I said after they were watching the video. I'm like, why would you stay here? And yeah. he's like, we're leaving. I'm we're like, leaving. yes, <laughs> leave the ship. But I will say this. I did not know a lot of the behind the scenes stuff. I did not know about the 130 minute cut. I had no idea about the bloody orgy that was cut out. And I'm like, <laughs> thank God I didn't see, I haven't seen that because that doesn't sound pleasant at all. <laughs> see, I knew there was cut stuff and i knew it was mostly because it was too violent but when i was reading about the thing i was like i kind of want to see that like it doesn't sound pleasant but i think it would add to the horror in the film because i don't think it has a lot of it mm-hmm. well like, it i think sound- they cut they cut down too much well it sounds like a completely different film that initial cut the movie starts off on weir 
in that space station, which uh, I read took a third of their budget to do to create Correct. that shot, which is it's like a good shot. It's a nice shot, but it took a third of the budget. So that's the movie actually starts off with the crew, you know, on a rescue mission and you meet the crew. And that's kind of maybe where I want to start off here. Cause I, I will, I, I don't want to just, I don't want to just run through a list of everything that's not in the movie, but I do want to talk about one thing that struck me watching this film was I never got the sense of like, I know that when I ask this question, who's the protagonist, you're going to say Miller. And I get that because he, he is, but he's not presented that way. And Miller is presented with the ensemble cast of everyone on the ship. But even then they are not presented to us in any way um, because they're not the first group we see. They just kind of show up because Weir is stuck with them. So Weir kind of is set up as a protagonist, but he's not. Right. But it, it, I, I'm wondering if it had the same effect on you as it did on me that I didn't really, I couldn't really get into the idea that Miller was the protagonist in this movie because I just wasn't conditioned in terms of how he was introduced and how it went and carried through to be like, Oh, uh, to root for him, I guess, or to, to want his survival. I agree. I don't care what happens to Miller. Mm-hmm. I think the only guy who in the entire movie who I really care about at all, like surviving is probably Richard T. Jones's character of Cooper. Mm-hmm. Cause he seems like the only like decently nice person in that whole crew. I guess also even when he's sexually harassing uh, Stark. (laughs) eh, That's just, ah, it's just the Eh, nineties. Whatever. whatever. I I hear you. I hear you. But then he's going like, he he wants to say like, I guess uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but baby bear. Oh um, yeah. His name. And I just said, his name. name. Um, Justin, but yeah, they call him baby bear, which is one of my notes is calling an adult baby bear is just not cool. I don't well, I think that's that's, he's weird. not supposed to be. An it's adult. weird. You, you got look at Miller calling him. I'm coming for you, baby bear. I'm like, mm, okay. Yeah, I mean, it sticks. It's like a military. Is there something else going on? Yeah. I mean, that's fine. If you guys are all hanging out and having your own orgies, but still, <laughs> but he gets taken out pretty quick. Mm-hmm. So we just got Cooper who feels like he really needs to rescue people. He's a nice guy. He never goes off the deep end. We never see him turn, mm-hmm. but even then he's not really the protagonist because we don't follow him. Mm-hmm. I like that Weir is set up as our protagonist. It's set up as he's looking for his wife. And what you find, I like, because I forgot all about that. And I like the twist of, oh, wait, his wife killed himself because of how much he was already obsessed with the ship. So I like that heel turn. I like that we think we're following Weir and it turns out we're not. I just think it comes a little maybe too quick and extreme. Mm-hmm. But again, we're missing half the movie. So that might be why. Yeah. Uh, but I do so enjoy that, that twist. This film gets actually gets shafted by the fact that James Cameron couldn't finish Titanic on time, whether he was trying to just get the December release or not. Right. Uh, T- Titanic was supposed to come out in the summer of 1997. And because he couldn't make that, they pushed it back to December. So then Paramount was like, you know, we don't have a big film for the summer of 97. Anderson was going to do this movie. And they said, listen, we'll, we'll green light this film, but you have to get this movie done by August. You have 10 months to do it. No, it's so, ridiculous. Right. So, and it was like in your contract, like in the, the, the DGA contract, you're allowed, I believe, 10 weeks to edit, a, to edit your film for post-production. You're allowed 10 weeks by the contract. But he agreed to be like, no, that's fine. I'll waive it. He agreed to go to six weeks to edit this film, which I think ended up being four weeks because they over, they had reshoots and went over time and yep. dug into the editing. So he already off the bat kind of 
hampered himself, uh, Anderson hampered the movie's, you know, ability to be the best it could be. But that's all stemming from Titanic and Cameron not being able to finish his movie on time, which I find fascinating how, you know, you can sit here and make a case that, you know, the event horizon that we see, which I'm not, a uh, there's, it's definitely got problems, but they're not, I can't sit here and be like, I can't sit here and be like, oh, you know, like we usually talk about, like, I don't understand what the director's doing. I don't understand what they're doing. Right. I don't get, because it's basically hampered by the fact that another movie in, in Paramount's um, library couldn't get their shit together. Uh, right. I mean, granted, who the, <laughs> Paramount's not crying because Titanic is a huge success, so it doesn't matter. Oh, absolutely. And Event Horizon went on to be a cult classic on home box office. But what did you think about all that? What did you think about the fact that it seemed to be like right off the bat, uh, Event Horizon was doomed to, to start? I think it kind of sucks to get shafted like that. This is his third big movie after Mortal Kombat. And like he shouldn't. It's kind of being backed into the corner. We'll make the movie, but you want to take less of a deal? Who's, who's going to say no? And who? No one's going to say. I mean, exactly. Yeah. But, OK, I'll get it done in four weeks, two weeks, whatever. The only the only problem with that and is that he turned down. X-Men, he yep. turned down X-Files Fight the Future, and he turned down Alien Resurrection to do this film. And it's like, eh, I mean, <laughs> you turned down X-Men? I mean, that, that was a pretty big deal. Yeah, but we lucked out because well, the X-Men we got was probably far better. But And that's, and that's my other note about Paul W.S. Anderson, uh, is that I'm not, the, I'm not the biggest fan of his aesthetics. Uh, I just don't, I can't ever connect with his films. I think he relies too much on CGI uh, mm -hmm. than practical. And I think that affects, because a lot of the CGI in here with the floating bottles, it's not good. It's the very first shot. It's, it's like, Ooh, CG. Yeah. I mean, the ship looks great. The ship is at, you know, when they're, when they come upon the event horizon. And it was built in what, four weeks to set. Cause they couldn't uh, find a set designer. Cause no one wanted to do it in that short amount of time. No, yes, I was talking about the outside, the uh, the the actual spaceship. Oh, just models the design of the like models. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that looked fine, but when they did the floating bottled water and all that stuff, I, whatever the CG was combined with live action is when they couldn't. Yeah, it, do it. But they got the, went with a smaller effects house because they wanted to they save did. money again. But that's the thing. It's like you know, at some point you got to say like I'm sacrificing way too much for my movie, and it's like the the water looked bad. The fake water just was just ugh. It was, oh, the coolant. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I hated yep. it. Um, so yeah. So I, I mean, at some point you're sacrificing all this stuff to get the movie done and, and it makes you look bad. I think it makes you, it makes you look bad. as a director. I would hate it. I would, if I, if I had a movie that I constantly compromised and it didn't come out the way I wanted to, I would just be disgusted with it constantly. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. So I thought, so I've never been really a huge Anderson fan. I've seen his movies or watched most of all of his movies. I just always feel like the CGI is always, is always on the low end of quality. I don't know if you think that. Yeah, I, I'm not a huge fan of him. I mean, obviously, like Mortal Kombat, the movie, from a standpoint of I watched it when I was a kid, it's hokey. Yeah. It's got enough cheese that I think it skates by. Mm -hmm. But I think the Resident Evil series, although I like the first one, which didn't have as much CGI, completely went off the rails and he cared about style and interesting storyboard sequences more than he did anything else. Mm -hmm. uh, and the Monster Hunter movie is just really, really bad. It's I never, I never saw that. Was it not good? It's 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 bad. Uh, it's not something that would be easily done as a movie anyway. Mm -hmm. But I'm not I'm not a huge fan. But I I do like Event Horizon. 
I just think that there's a better version out there. And, and it's amazing that it can skate by on what it does right because it does so much wrong or there's just so much clearly missing as I'm watching. Like there's a whole section of IMDb on the goofs and I'm like, yep, yep. And then the trivia, they explain some of the goops and I'm like, yep, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's just well, like, mm. well, we can get into that, but actually, you know, cause we were kind of, we started off negative. Why don't you tell me what you liked about the film? Let's get, let's, let's do some positives. So we're not well, just completely <laughs> bashing this thing. Like I said, I do really like this film. I'm the one that put it on our list. I love, because I don't even, I didn't even remember it. I love the weird twist that you mm-hmm. think he's grieving his wife. He's going there to find his wife who you think was on this expedition and he's just keeping it a secret. And then you find out through the hell ship kind of torturing him that his wife committed suicide because of how obsessed he was with the event horizon itself. And the ship being this living entity just pushes him even further down that road. I thought that was phenomenal. I love the concept of a science fiction movie merging with basically theology and hell and stuff like that. I like, I'm not religious at all, um, but I, I still find that like fascinating. And it reminds me of like doom and and that kind of stuff, which I've always grown up loving the doom franchise. And they had the same kind of stuff, which I'm sure is where Paul Anderson is coming from being a huge video game nerd. And the set design and the style is really, really good. And like you said, they make good, dis- mostly make good decisions in this movie. Oh, the like, actors, the characters, the yep. characters we're getting out of here. It doesn't take long for the spooky shit to happen. And they just go, all right, we out. Everyone's dead. We're gone. We're, we're, we're not staying here. Did you hear that message? It's bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so they don't play into the tropes, which is nice. They don't, they don't go like in an alien movie. Ooh, did you hear that? It's like, you're in a hive, get out. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, yeah, I like a lot of that stuff. Uh, I'm reminded of the scene with Justin baby bear when he, uh, <laughs> he sees the, or the, the gravity, um, the black hole, uh, the gravity engine spinning and the, and it's like, he gets closer to it and then he sticks his hand into the void. It's like, why, what are you doing? But you don't get that backstory right. from uh, the fact that like they wish they had to cut out was the whole thing. Like he was obsessed with the gravity drive and he was obsessed with the idea of, of what it could do and how it opens up a, a singularity so that the ship can go through. So that makes sense when I read that. But when you're watching the movie, I'm just like, what are you doing? That was one of the things I really didn't like character wise. That's why I didn't mind. He was first because he makes character decisions as the engineer. Yeah. Make no sense. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, that backstory would have made sense then. Oh, he's almost as obsessed with it as we're. Mm -hmm. And speaking of the gravity engine, one of the notes I had here that I was just, (laughs) this baffled me. Um, I think it was Peters or Stark. It was either, I don't know who, or maybe it was somebody else, but they're, they're talking about the gravity. So they, they talk about the gravity engine initially mm-hmm. and Weir tells them that it opens a singularity and then it, it travels through it. And then maybe 20, 30, 40 minutes later in the movie, it talks about how the gravity uh, engine has opened up a black hole and someone's like, act surprised that you made a black hole. Yeah. And I'm like, he just told you 20 minutes ago that it's designed to create a singularity. That's a black hole. I don't get why they didn't understand that. Well, I like their decisions that they make in the movie when things, the shit hits the wall. They're the dumbest bunch of astronauts <laughs> I've ever met. One of their things, like he's talking about, you know, we're going to create a wormhole. We're going to, they're like, what is this? Layman's terms. And he's like, yeah, you're in space. Uh, terms. <laughs> you're, you're in a ship. You're the engineers, the doctors in the future. Mm -hmm. How do you not know what any of this is? Mm -hmm. 
It's like if you put a bunch of garbage truck drivers in a spaceship and said, go to Neptune on a super secret mission. See, and what's, and could we usually do this when we talk about space films, we usually compare it to the expanse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, but in the expanse, like I believe that because they're, you know what I mean? There's like, it's, I can believe that because space travel is so prevalent and, and just li- where they are. I could, I could believe people just don't know certain things because there's people that are just workers and put their head down and do the job. They tell me to go fix the spaceship. I go fix it. But they right. never set that up in this world. And you're right. These people are just astronauts. These people are before, for, I mean, what we're to assume they're in some kind of, it's not a military organization, but it's an organization where you need to be trained on certain things. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. And they're working. This is the, probably the most top secret project of all time in space that they're going to investigate. Mm-hmm. So these guys have to be pretty high ranking or pretty good at their jobs there. I, I know that they make a point of that. It's an inter uh, it's a, like a international conglomerate. Like they're all from different countries. Right, yeah. So they make a point of that, but it's so clearly it's kind of some kind of Star Trek thing going on here where you have all these nations that come together to form this space exploration organization. It's like um, a more organized UN. Right. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, you're right. So you should, there should be some kind of, some Knowledge. kind of, yeah. Yeah. I, a black, yeah. what? A hole? What is that? I only know black squares. What? <laughs> <laughs> um, and what you were talking about, in terms of the themes and theology, a lot of this stuff is based on Hieronymus Bosch's paintings of uh, the levels of hell. Right. And which reminds me of In the Mouth of Madness. And I couldn't help but feel like I was watching In the Mouth of Madness in space. And maybe it's because... I think it's because we just watched it last but year. But also <laughs> Sam Neill's in this. And, but it felt very similar in, the, in, in those kind of thematic elements. And I don't... Maybe it's just because Sam Neill's in it and we just watched it. The way the creepiness happens is also very similar. I know mm-hmm. that Paul uh, W.S. Anderson took a lot from Hellraiser. And mm-hmm. Hellraiser itself is very much like a uh, Lovecraftian kind of movie. Yeah. And Clive Barker was a consultant on the movie for a bit. Right. Who wrote, who wrote the original Hellraiser. And I think he wrote the movie script. I'm not sure. I about. believe he did. And yeah. Clive Barker, I believe, did some other movies that were more Cthulhu myth kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. No, he's done it. But Lord, I mean, Lord of Illusions. Yeah. So, yeah, no, no. I think that's where it comes from. Like they're taking from the same base material, which is kind of Lovecraft in general. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I get what you're thinking. I thought the same thing, especially when he comes back all scarred, Sam Neill. And it's like when he <laughs> has the marks all over his body, I was like, yeah, how he did like two spooky movies, like back to back. Yeah. And and speaking of him and his makeup, uh, explain to me, if you can explain to me other than just, uh, it was probably cheaper to do this for plot reasons. Why does he sew his eyes shut? No one else needs to. Why are you what? showing your eyes shut? Eyes shut. When when did he have the time to show his eyes? <laughs> well, it, when he disembowels DJ uh, Jason Isaac's character and hangs him, and like that was awfully fast. Like he did that awfully quick. Oh yeah. <laughs> yep. So yeah, he had to do that and he, sew his eyes shut. He was all done, all done sewing him up, stringing him up. DJ bled out completely because there's no blood dripping anymore. Mm-hmm. Before Miller was even able to run into the room. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and did you read the note that he he was supposed to still be alive? Um, that yeah, Miller no, was going to shoot him, shoot him in the head. Yeah. So he's and he's supposed to lift his head up and 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 that makes like, a lot more sense. But they had to edit it out because it was too gross. Again, it's like this <sighs> is a rated R film. It's, well, it's just, talking about too gross, Butler. Let's talk about this orgy scene. <laughs> let's, because I I actually kind of want to see it. But yes. All right. So the video that they watch in the movie 
is only snippets of what they shot. They, and they shot this on the, on weekends. It was just it's like a week's worth of footage. Yeah. Yeah. Anderson and the, and bolt the producer went off and shot this on the weekend with amputees and porn stars all in makeup, all in like this disgusting, bloody makeup. And they're basically just having obviously an orgy. They're having, it's, it's, they're having very, very violent sex and, and rape and they're eating each other. And it's just, I, I really don't want to describe it, but it's just disgusting. The stuff that they're doing now, let me ask you this. Did that remind you a little bit of how the Reavers go mad in Serenity at all? When you, like even PG, the clips, it, this is like an NC 17 of how the Reavers go mad. Right. But like even the clips they showed with like the barbed wires in the mouth, like that just reminded me because we had just watched Serenity for the Pine of Comics podcast. Mm-hmm. It reminded me a lot of how the Reavers get made. Well, yes, but the Reavers are, are not going to the point where they're killing themselves. Like they stop. They eventually don't go to the point where they're just completely just go till they can't go anymore and they're and they're killing each other and they're dying. Do you know what I mean? Like there's some right. kind of semblance of self except they're ju- in the reavers, but in, in these, these people are clearly just possessed and insane. And it's, it's really hardcore. It's really difficult to like, to just, when I'm reading it, I'm just like, Oh, I don't want to see that. <laughs> I don't want to see that either. <laughs> Some of the stuff they do show, but briefly, like the guy ripping his own guts through his mouth and stuff like that. Yeah. Which I'm sitting there going, how, how are you, like, how are you doing that? Well, and clearly then, there's boosted with strength and stuff. If you look at weird, yeah, someone gets impaled from, from their head, the spike through their head, it comes out their mouth. You can briefly see people having sex in the, in the shot. Right. Um, yeah. But it's just, yeah, it's just not a, it's, it's just gross. It is gross, <laughs> but that's, that's hell. I think that I get it. I to get raise it. the stakes, you need to see more of it. Mm-hmm. And also you talk about practical over CGI. It looked like they sounded like they did a lot of practical stuff there. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. They shot those scenes. They just couldn't put them in. Like I had notes here where like they showed this to cast and crew members and they were like fainting. People were like, couldn't ha- they had to walk out because they couldn't take it. And I would wonder, I also want to see like how extreme, like that's 1997, like we're past the hostile stage and all that. Mm-hmm. Well, is it still too extreme when you watched it or would it be considered like, all right, by comparison today? I mean, t- but see, here's the thing though, with today's uh, horror, a lot, a lot of it is digital, like digital blood. Oh, sure. Yeah. So, I don't, it probably would maybe be more, it'd probably be a little bit more visceral and maybe would gross people up because it's all practical and mm-hmm. the CG back then for blood is not great. Right. I mean, there's obviously uh, a, a, just a huge improvement in digital blood effects now. I mean, you still can tell, but it's much, much better than it used to be. Oh yeah. So well, if, you, um, if you had the blood that looked like the coolant in this movie, yeah, it would no. be terrible. I mean, you can't do John Wick on that kind of budget they do it on without all those digital headshots. Oh yeah, not at all. You know yeah. what I mean? But they look good. And the movie's the way it's cut, it's done well. But um, but yeah, so there's tons of stuff. I think I told uh, in this movie that was cut out. They cut out like a, a hints of a romance between Stark and Miller, which is that they had a backstory, which, which is a Joel Richardson okay character. With them kicking that out. Well, he well, Stark's character was supposed to be a guy. Uh, and then Anderson was testing, screen testing women and men for the role. And then he liked Jolie Richardson because he thought that her English training or her English uh, stage training would bring some kind of added element to the to the movie. But like there's moments where Miller is like dressing her down 
And she's like, can I get dressed for it? She's like, no. It's like, um, mm. really? She just woke out of cryosleep. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, there's stuff with Miller that I just, where he's barking orders in the beginning. I just don't, I don't get where that's coming from. It's like, you, you all just woke up and you know, he's no nonsense. He just wants to get home again. <laughs> I guess that they're out. <laughs> <laughs> There's more stuff with Peter's son where she sees her son injured and his legs are injured and she sees more stuff with maggots and stuff like that. It's, you know, it's kind of a grosser version of what they show. I thought all that was really stupid because at first, okay, she's freaked out by seeing her son in the bubble. But when she turns back and goes after her son in the engine room, one, uh, what's his face? Pertwee's character, Smith. Smith doesn't notice that she's not behind him. Is he that obsessed with trying to leave that he doesn't go? Oh, when they're getting the carbon filters? Yeah, Peters is gone. I should look after her. Mm -hmm. So that was stupid. And then the fact that she knows, everyone knows the ship is haunting them by that time. Mm -hmm. Miller has already said his line, we're leaving. Mm -hmm. And she goes, oh, my son is on this ship. I should go find him. Mm. His son is clearly not on the ship, lady. He's clearly not there. Yeah. Agreed. It's, it's, yeah, it's not, it's. It's like I could that would make sense if like she goes running off and chasing after her son. But when you cut back to her, she's just standing there and like she's in a in a trance or something. She's not actually physically moving. Do you know sure. what I mean? I get that. But because he's taking her over. But like the 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 entity or the because it's not supposed to be the devil. It's supposed to be something older than the devil. That's like something that happens in, in the deleted scenes. They have weird or somebody has a conversation with the, with the creature or the beast and says like, okay. I'm older than the devil. And so that's what it's supposed to be. Or maybe that was an original script, whatever. But, um, I forgot where I was going with that. <laughs> with, with Peters and like taking oh, over. Right, right, right. The entity never takes over any of the crew where they end up like the old crew. Like it's just, you know what I mean? They never get to that point. I felt it's because this entity has stowed away in this dimension, but he's not, they're not in that dimension. So the entity is either not as powerful or it's being in that dimension in general, like being in hell that causes that insanity. So they're being haunted by the entity, but they're not quite insane. They're not in hell. So it's not until you go into hell that you go crazy. But what's his face was pulled into that dimension. So I guess he witnesses all that. Um, Which is why he goes crazy and just can't yeah. But none of the others did. None of the others were pulled in or maybe they did. They traveled and they. No, none of the others were pulled in. But if you touched like the ship was giving them glimpses of what could happen. No, no, no. I meant the original crew. Oh, no. The original crew was pulled in. Okay. Okay. So they actually went through the whole. Okay. You're right. You're right. You're right. Because they didn't get that message till seven years later. Right. Right. You're right. I missed that. Okay. That make that makes a little bit more sense. Yeah. So the event horizon did travel, came back seven years later. And the entity was probably like, Ooh, let's try to get more. Uh, let's try to find more friends or whatever. <laughs> so that painting that I was talking about was what I said. It was from 16th century painters, Hieronymus Bosch. And then there's Pietre Bruegel, which I probably said the name wrong. I guess Anderson that saw those while touring art galleries. And that's kind of like where that came from in terms of the, the, the script itself, like Eisner, did you read about how this, how this movie was written? Did you read about how this came about? I guess he had a family tragedy and, uh, to work through it. That's kind of the movie. He, he couldn't find a way to write again. He was at a writer's block. So to get out of his writer's block, he was like pitching the shining in space. So a lot of like the trauma and how gross it is, is because of his mindset at the time. Yeah. A studio executive who's his uh, friend 
basically they were like, yes, let's do that. And then he helped him write the, write the movie, helped him with the draft, like not help him write, but like imp- got him going, got him going. Yeah. Cause he had such mm-hmm. bad writer's block. Right. So I thought that was cool. Did you read about the test screenings? <laughs> to people fainting and hating it? Yeah. Like he's like, uh, Anderson's quoted as saying that they were quote disastrous. It didn't go well at all. This was the first time I'd walked into a room of 350 people. And in the end, they just didn't like it or some people liked <laughs> it passionately, but not enough. So they had to recut, shorten it. They had the Paramount told them to cut 30 minutes of it and all this cutting to, to obviously we get what we get the night, the, the movie, the version that we get that we've just been talking about for about 40 minutes. Right. Supposedly uh, there are versions of the film out there. They don't look great in terms of not like out there for people to watch, but like in people's uh, libraries and storages and, and whatnot. Right. VHS copies of the original cut that are not good or, or sections of the original cut that are not good. And There's so one VHS copy that the, one of the producers has found. But they, yeah, they have yet to find, they, they're hoping that they can find lost footage. Maybe they can put this together at some point. And Paramount wanted him to do it. Um, because like you said before to start, like, you know, they were, they apologized to him because it was so, it, it came, you know, people were like the ship movie and DVD video sales and they wanted him to be like, listen, go ahead and do your cut and we'll re-release it. And they can't, they couldn't find anything. Yep. It's great. Like nowadays that wouldn't happen because it would all just be stored in the hard drive and in a, in a thing. Yeah. Oh no, of course. Back then it was just film. So you like to deteriorate the grid. Yeah. He used, they used the example of that they found a director's cut of Barker's Nightbreed right. in 2014 and just turned up. So in, in like hoping, a mine shaft or something, right? Yeah. They're hoping <laughs> that, are, that they can find that that'll just happen. They'll just happen upon this movie. Um, I mean, I don't know if I could watch it. <laughs> I, I, could, I still want to see what it is. I think 130 minutes is too long. Mm-hmm. So I, I think he had to a, have cut it anyway. It's too long for a It would be a completely different movie. movie. It would be a completely different film. And like you said, having Weir, like no discussions, just you see his dead wife. So you kind of know about Weir and then boom, we're with Miller and his crew and we're going Mm -hmm. is a much better way to do the film. Very similar to Aliens where you don't cut too much. It's Ripley's back home. Oh, she had a nightmare. Ripley, we got to go back to the planet. Like, I like that. Boom, boom, boom. And initially they were going to have the, the, we're going to have like tentacled creatures on this thing. Um, And he said he didn't want to, he didn't want to do aliens. He didn't. So he, they turned into like a supernatural type force, right. uh, kind of like a ghost story, like a ghost ship, ghost story in space kind of thing. That's the better route to go. <laughs> <laughs> I know you like, you said you liked Cooper, uh, Richard Chee Jones character. Right. I hated Cooper surviving that oh, explosion. Me too. I, he was on the ship that explodes. Yeah. And then gets blasted. Not just like a little far away from the ship. He gets blasted out of orbit. He can see all of Neptune. He's got to be hundreds of thousands of miles away from the planet at least. Yeah. And he just goes, all right, got to get the ship. Got to get the ship. You can't fucking see the ship, bro. <laughs> You're too far away. There's yeah. no way. There's no world in which his little dot of a human being is able to get onto that ship with boosters. And his, di- his dialogue is just so... Movie cheesy dialogue yeah so oh 90s. i can't believe i survived that oh oh i'm like oh, <laughs> shut up i'll go around going around gotta go one more time gonna yeah, run yeah. one more time i'm coming back motherfuckers i'm like it's like uh, shut up <laughs> i hated that I, and, and he and he ends up 
going to the ship and causes where to blow out the window yeah, or shoot the window for perfect, perfect landing right where they need him at the exact right time. Right. And the ending is just a combination of endings because they initially had the ending where Weir dies and goes and whatever happens to where he goes. And there's an ending where it's just Miller and the guy that he is, is haunting him from letting him burn. They have that, like, that's the right. initial People ending. People didn't like that ending because it was like, where'd this guy come from? Yeah. And then they had the ending where it was Weir and Miller stand off and they didn't like that ending. So then they did like a combination ending yep. <laughs> of, of both of it, which is like, okay, well, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I also hate the ending ending. The last scene, I, I just don't like the last scene. Which it wasn't meant to be the final scene in the movie. It was meant to be within the film somewhere. It wasn't right. meant to be the end of the film. And that's when you're talking about when Stark has that dream. Stark has a nightmare mm-hmm. that we're still alive and they're still in hell or whatever, that they mm-hmm. never made it out. And then it turns out she's not. She's just crazy now. Or, it's like, or she, well, she just woke up from crying. I don't know if she's just, crazy, but yeah, yeah, she had a nightmare kind of like weird when he first woke up, but it just right. doesn't, it's not very impactful. Mm-hmm. It's just a way to end. It's just jump scare to end the movie. Yeah, like I get that. Okay, uh, ruined them. Even if they survived, they'll never be the same. But it's just mm-hmm. if that's the ending you want to go with, I need something more powerful. Mm-hmm. Or like they open the cryo thing and they are absolutely insane. Stark, Cooper, Baby Bear. If Baby Bear's even alive, or they open it and Baby Bear's been ripped to shreds, and Cooper and Stark have gone crazy. Give me that kind of thing where like they did get out, but they didn't make it. If you want to give me that kind of, or did they kind of ending. You got to end it with a little bit more impactful kind of an ending mm-hmm. or just uh, have my, them survive. There's nothing wrong with that. My favorite part of the ending is the guy kneeling over her, yelling for a sedative at the other two guys. And they're just standing there. And he's oh, like, I feel like, sedative! He's, I feel like he's asking out the door to other people. No, there's two guys in the room. They're just like, they're like, they're like standing there and he's like, give me a sedative. And they're like not moving. I'm like, maybe, move. Maybe they're like French or something. And they're like, uh, uh so what? what do I do here, Paul? Do I move when he calls me? Yeah, no, no, no. Just stand still. Like you guys are bad at your job. You're bad at your job and action. Sedative. I'm sorry. You said not to do anything. You said, don't touch. We got this. We're just newbies. So, you know, screw you. Yeah. I, I, I didn't get that. My um, favorite part toward the end of the movie is when the big glass jar of green for no reason to make that room look cool. <laughs> oh, right, right. Turns or, red and fills with blood. All the tanks filling with water for with blood. Yeah. yeah. I, I was like, where's this coming from? When it burst, all I could think of and I shouted out loud, hey, Kool-Aid. <laughs> then the wave See, came I, by. I remember when that <laughs> happened. And I think I had the initial reaction this time. At the same time, I go, oh, there must be, it must be in her head. She must be dreaming. And they're like, oh, no, this is, this is just blood. That's the <laughs> other thing is like, they don't make that clear until the end. Cause the whole thing is like fire guy and like Miller's running from him. If you know, it's not real, don't run from it. Yeah, but then I clearly know. it does burn the door and a fire does happen. So, so it is real. Are real. <laughs> it's like, I need to know that clearer. I need to know what the stakes are. Cause the whole time I'm thinking, what you're a bunch of dummies. Mm-hmm. Why are you running mm-hmm. away from these hallucinations? What did you think about the music? Nothing. I could care less about the music. It never even occurred to me until I read notes about it. I did know that the credit song is way out of place. <laughs> oh, the Prodigy? Yeah, yeah. I knew it was Prodigy. I'm like, that's Prodigy. This I did not need prodigy. prodigy at the end. Well, I guess Anderson hired Orbital to do the music and the studio was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so then he was like, he hired Michael Kamen. And then he was like, I like the idea of mixing genres. So then he mixed them together and all, and I was listening to the music throughout the movie and all I kept thinking of was, this sounds like Run Lola Run 
meets the untouchables so score. Like that's what it <laughs> felt like. And I'm like, I don't get this film. I don't get this music. And then at the end, when the prodigy song, when prodigy song came up, I was just like, Nothing, this doesn't fit. This doesn't fit at all. This that, feels like a nineties film with this music. That was the only note I had was like, Oh, must be a nineties film. You got to end with some kind of prodigy, uh, techno. Yeah. Mix. yeah. I'm, I don't mind prodigy. I like, I have one of their albums. I just, I just didn't get, you know, it didn't just, belong in a movie like this. It did. Yeah. It didn't feel right. Yeah. It worked for Mortal Kombat, but you didn't need to do it here. Mortal Kombat has that song that they are going to use. You know what I mean? That's the, that, that song is what's makes that movie. And if you want to hear my, my thoughts on Mortal Kombat, go watch, go listen to our episode. He loved it. Yeah. (laughs) This is must be opposite day. (laughs) (laughs) And this was the first time, I don't know if I'm wrong here or right here, but this Mm -hmm. is the first time. That we see in a movie how the explanation of wormholes is done with folding your paper over and punching a hole through it. Yeah. And everybody else just copies it after that. And now like, yeah, now we just, it, now we just see it everywhere. Like Interstellar did it too. But like now we just see it all over the place. Can, don't we have another way we can yeah. explain this to people? I've, I've watched doc because I'm, I'm a big space nerd. So I watch a lot of documentaries about space and I must have seen at least a dozen where they talk about the creation of real warp drives and they do the exact same yeah. display. Uh, writers, let's come up with a different way. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, uh, and while fair, we're on the, it's yeah. one of the things I remember most about this movie because no, watching it a, like 10 years old, I was like, oh, shit, that's an easy way to explain it. <laughs> it's a great explanation and it works. But like I've seen it now at least a 15 times. times. Yeah, at least at least a dozen times where now I'm wondering if we're going to start getting like much like in Avengers uh, Endgame, we get the explanation of time travel by just saying, you saw Back to the Future, right? <laughs> like, like that's the explanation we get. You saw I'm wondering, Horizon, right? That, yeah, I'm works. wondering if we're going to get the explanation. What's a wormhole? Go pop in 1997 Event Horizon. You'll find <laughs> out. Like, I wonder if we're going to get that in a movie because that's how lazy we're going to be. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See that movie, Sam Neill? I was surprised Sam Neill was second build to Lawrence Fishburne. And as I'm watching it, I go, ah, oh, Matrix must have come out. And then I was like, wait, no. This is 1997. We're two years removed from the Matrix, and Lawrence Fishburne is billed over Sam Neill, which I thought was interesting. Sam Neill doesn't strike me as the type of guy who gives a crap about that. He's oh, t- no, I don't you know, know what I mean? And I don't, you know what? That's fine. That but doesn't it's, bother me. It's, oh, it doesn't bother me. I was just surprised. But also, right. it, it kind of gives away that Miller is kind of more the protagonist than well, uh, Weir. Butler, I'm pretty sure that Fishburne was nominated for what Lo- What's Love Got to Do with It came out before this movie. Oh, he was. So then that's probably why he's an Oscar nominee. That makes so that's sense. probably Sorry. why. Well, there's I mean, a I know, ton of Oscar nominees behind the scene for this movie. I mean, granted, Jurassic Park was a big hit in 1993, but I have heard more love for Jurassic Park now in the, than I had back then. And I think that's because everyone that loved it as kids growing up are always talking about it. Like, I, it was a great film in 93 and people liked it, but I hear more about how awesome it is now than I did how awesome it was back then. Maybe. Maybe just don't have dinosaurs. What? <laughs> I'm just saying. I, I I'm not saying it's that's right. not a negative. I'm saying like you all grew up on it, and now right. you're heralding it, much like you know I well, I herald Indiana Jones movies and Star Wars and stuff like that. To bring it back, I'm saying in terms of Sam Neill's star, sure, you the, might the, be right, and that's pretty the, much the only big thing. Right, the star of Jurassic Park isn't Alan Grant. It's, it's the, the dinosaurs. dinosaurs. Right. So, you know, Alan Grant's revered because when you have a piece of crap like Jurassic World, 
the Dominion that comes out. <laughs> Nobody cares about the new cast. They care about the older cast. Listen, we need someone to watch this third movie. We made a big snake with the second. What if we uh, just, yeah. what if we just bring back the rest of the cast? Do we really have to write it? No, we'll put it through an AI bot. He'll write the movie and no. put us at the old cast. Have you seen Fast and Furious franchise? Yes. Well, that's what we're going to do here. Okay. Vin Diesel didn't, uh, he's busy filming Fast 10, so he couldn't be in it. We'll just cut that scene, but it's still in the same universe. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. We'll just reuse shots. He's racing a Velociraptor in Fast 11. All those cars are digital. We'll just replace those with Raptors. <laughs> <laughs> Would you be interested in watching a television show based on this movie? Uh, no, but I know it's, it's, there, it's pretty it's in much. Development. It is. It's, it's not stalled or anything. It's happening, right? They haven't right. said no. Um, this is he's Butler is talking about in 2019. They said that uh, Paramount Television and Amazon Studios are developing uh, a series that's like a, kind of a sequel, right? Is it supposed to be? Is it supposed to be of the story or kind of takes place in that universe after? Uh, please hold. I, I actually think that they should just redo it as the series because they, there's so I many. I think you have to. Missteps. It's been too long. But there's like also said, so yeah, many, missteps. many missteps. Yeah, yeah. Just redo it. Redo it all over again. Um. I guess I would watch it. I don't know. I haven't even gotten up to watch that Lord of the Rings show. I like the Lord of the Rings show. <laughs> That's fine. I just, I'm watching, I'm kind of into the House of Dragon mode, so I don't know if I can get into the Rings of Power mode. I mean, maybe I will. I'd have to see the trailer. I'd have to see the trailer. It's going to be done by Adam Wingard, who's done your next. Uh, so he's executive producing it, possibly directing it. Who knows? Um, it's okay. definitely, I'll tell you what, it's definitely worthy of doing over again because of we just sat here and talked about how it, it's kind of it, short shafted. Right. It got Plus, screwed and it like didn't get to do what to it edit it. He had a short time editing. But then after that first test screening, he had to re-edit again. Yeah. He did I think it he was once. With four weeks yeah. to re-edit a, a movie a second time. Yeah. Paramount was just hell bent on getting a, getting a big film. Out. And I think they thought it was going to be an action film, but getting this Probably. film out there uh, in the summer to have a big summer film and, and it's not a summer know, film. Oh no, this is, I mean, we could talk about this when we talk about why it's forgotten, but this is definitely more of a, honestly, it's probably more of an early spring film. Yeah. I don't, you know, I don't even think I don't maybe fall, but I would not put it in the holiday season. No fall, yeah. maybe toward Halloween, but I think people, the Halloween crowd, they're looking for more down to earth stuff. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I, I don't think like aliens and stuff really works for the October season. Mm. Agreed. I also don't Watch. think it works as a TV. What, what, what's up? No, go ahead. Go, go for it. I don't think it works as a TV show. Like I'll watch, I'm interested, but I, I think it works better as a movie. How do you do eight episodes of them, you know, raping each other and eating their own guts? No, I don't like, think they'll, I mean, I won't allude to that. It did. It, it have to be yeah. very different to make it a TV show, but I think it works as a contained, short, well-written movie. What was the series that uh, what's his face did? Speaking of Game of Thrones, the uh, writer that did that was on that was a science fiction film. It was a limited series. It was about ghosts in space. Uh, Night Flyers was that what it was called? Um, oh, game. Yeah, I think Night Flyers is yeah George R. R. Martin. So that's kind of what that is a little right, and that was a limited series. So maybe if this was a limited series. I can see them doing it. If you're talking like it's like a five season series, 10 episodes a season. I mean, they're going to have to build character development. So it's going to have to be something that it it can't just be this. If you're talking about what is in the event horizon film, there's probably got to be more to 
whatever the crew after or before whatever. So, I think you get crazy with the mythology at that point. Yeah. If it's more than just one season, all of a sudden now there's a heaven dimension and it's fighting the hell dimension. All of a sudden now you're doom the game <laughs> and it just, Maybe. it just goes off the rails. Yeah. Or you'll have to get really big with it. You go yeah, 2001 maybe. with it. Be like concepts about God and the creation of the universe. How much did uh, Rings of Power cost to make? Uh, I think 250 million or something like that or more. There you go. They can get that budget, right? <laughs> and they're getting that times five for their five seasons. Yeah. Must be nice to have all that money and just kind of burn it away. Jeffrey Bezos. <laughs> uh, Washington Post critic Stephen Hunter calls this film pointlessly loud. With more devotion to style rather than scares and more satisfying explanation of its supernatural experiences. What do you think? Of- yeah, I mean, I like this film a lot, but it does have its issues and that's pretty much the issue. I don't think the scary stuff's scary enough. I mean, mm-hmm. I watched this when I was 10. 1997, I was 10. And mm-hmm. I still watched this movie and didn't care that I watched this movie. I mean, I liked it then, but I wasn't scared of it. Uh, I don't think it's got scares. They explain the hell stuff well enough, but I think it could be done more interestingly. And I do think they get loud awfully quick, but I like that about it. It doesn't meander. So I well, agree and disagree with that. That's the way it's cut. True. Yeah. The 130 I mean, would definitely meander. But that's the thing though, too. If it's a ghost story though, you have to take your time. I mean, granted, <laughs> well, we, we just, just came from a ghost others. story of the others. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> I was just going to say that was boring, but <laughs> <laughs> that was boring and not that long either. But that doesn't, and it was still that, too long. Just to compare the two, the mystery, and I'm trying to remember back of when I watched this originally, Event Horizon, the mystery of Event Horizon is probably much more fascinating than mystery of the others. Oh, sure. Because the others relies on the twist. Right. Event Horizon doesn't really rely on the twist. Even when you're watching it again, you can, you're still watching the characters figure out where they are. And it's not presented as so much of a twist. So you're not like with the others. I was just bored half the movie because I was like, you're dead. You're dead. You're dead. You killed your kids. You're dead. You're dead. You killed your kid. This movie, I'm just like, oh, buddy, you don't even know where they've been. So, so other than the release date, why do you think we're saying it's forgotten? A lot of the things we say about, I think both of us like parts of the movie, but both of us know what's wrong with the movie in terms of like... Plot points that don't quite make sense. Character motivations that aren't there. I think the scares aren't there. Like, I know you don't want to see the gross orgy scene. And maybe you don't even need that, but I need more, more scares. I mean, there's a lot of cutaways. There's a lot that makes me think this movie is almost PG-13 in a way. Like, it's barely R. And I just think it needs more scares if it's going to be more psychological. And I think that hurts it a lot from rewatches and people really in, like, the horror crowd embracing it. And also, I think Paul Anderson, he's done some bad movies and that hurts going back and being able to recommend a movie based on his name, at least. He's got a rep. Yeah. I mean, aside from the first Resident Evil movie, which isn't great, it's good. It's fun. It's watchable. It's fun. Yeah, it's not great. It isn't great. None of those movies, they just kind of just go downhill. No, the rest, yeah, they're awful garbage. Monster Hunter's not good. He just, Mortal Kombat is okay and it's corniness and it's presented that way and this movie if he was given more time i feel like could have been good but then he just kind of got lazy with the money which i get he's probably sleeping in a bag of money so i can't blame him that's money's dirty though (laughs) (laughs) um when you say scares do you mean jump scares or creepy scares i mean creepy scares i don't like jump scares jump scares only affect you while you're watching the movie but they don't stay with you 
Um, like I, I was talking about the movie Nope, and I you see Nope, and we spoil movies all the time here, so I don't care to talk about like Nope, the monkey scene when he's eating the girl. That that but they don't show him eating. They just no, kind of just for some the reason idea. the way it's done, like really affected me. And it wasn't a jump scare. Obviously, it was just creepy and 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 gross and and uncomfortable. And I think that's a lot more effective than jump scares. You know, jump scares. I've watched so many movies and so many horror movies at this point. I understand like it's very tough for anyone to get me at a jump scare where I'm like, yep. All right. I get what's happening. Like, you know, the camera's purposely hiding part something like when they're pacing back and forth with uh, the doctor at one point and all of a sudden baby bear gets up. It's like, you know, that's happening because the camera's oh, he's, panning. He's disappeared. Purposely, off of the, yeah. Covering yeah. the table a couple of times. I'm like, when's he getting off the table? Mm hmm. So jump scares, I don't think are as effective as stuff that's unsettling and stays with you. That might not be like, Ooh, yeah, that's scary. But like, as you go, you go, I don't, I don't like that. I don't like that at all. I think that's a better scare. Well, you know, you knew as soon as you knew that something happened on the set of the, of the, of the show, and I'm talking about Nope. Right. With, with the chimpanzee, you're just like, oh, well, they're going to show it. <laughs> <laughs> Here it comes. Where, when is it coming? <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's, but that's meant to make you uncomfortable. I hear what you're saying. Right. Right. But that's a, a lot more powerful than like a simple jump scare. Sure. Yeah. Like the aliens popping out in the barn, which is still an awesome scene in Nope. That was more of a jump scare, but then that's it's my, turned into a creepier scare. That's my favorite scene because he's sitting like, nah, man, nah. Yeah. He just oh. keeps walking away. I'm just like, oh, yes. Get out of there. Him. Yeah. I mean, that's just. What he decked when I was like, yes. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm running. I'm not uh, pulling my phone out and videoing. I'm out of that barn, but more power to him. He needs that Oprah <laughs> shot. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. No, I, I actually dug up no, quite a bit. So, um, right. yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I guess. Back to this film, uh, I think I would say the CGI too. Kind of, I mean, granted, it does. This movie does have a following. It does have a cult following. People love it. People sure. who grew up with it love it. That's great. But we always talk about on the show in terms of um, movies that the next generation. I had somebody tell me that day, like that doesn't make any sense. The next generation, they don't know about films. They know about they they know about films. They know about these movies growing up. It's like no, they, they don't. don't. They don't. Nope. And it's a that's a thing. It's like. And that's fine. I mean, like there's movies that I have yet still to watch that I want to watch because, but I didn't, I mean like movies from the early eighties that I've completely forgotten about that. I'm like, Oh, I, I, I can't believe I keep, I don't, I want to watch that. I forgot you about it. I both film. never watched 48 hours until just I, recently. When we did it. Yeah. yeah. And see, that's the thing. Like when we're so young, we don't realize it. You know, I like going back. Not, not everyone is like us. They don't like yeah. to go back. So it's just not going to, you know, but some, and some people just don't like movies. Some people just don't watch movies. Yep. But like, so this is one of those films that, like you said, unless you like really like horror or like sci-fi, um, you know, you're going to go back and find people are going to recommend it to you. But I think that because the CGI is a little hokey, mm. because that it may like even the toned down version may be too gross for people. Uh, to go back to watch, you know, maybe, you know, that that's going to scare people off. I think that maybe it's difficult to maybe, people, like I said, it just gets a little forgotten. I think it won't be. If they do the show, I think the movie's going to obviously get a new life, which is great. Oh, absolutely. And it just came out with the special edition Blu-ray because it's yeah. 25th anniversary. Yeah. Ugh. I just think, <laughs> I, I think that it would be good for people to go back to it knowing if they listen to this episode or if they read about it, knowing what happened to the film in terms of it's how it started off with basically like no help. Right. You know, knowing what Titanic did to this film, what Paramount did to this film, 
if you kind of go back and, and watch it with not so much of a discerning eye where you're just kind of like, this is ridiculous, but understanding they didn't have the time to do what they wanted to do. I think that would probably make their viewing a little bit more favorable of the film. Cause you can't really, we talk about on the show, like sometimes you can place the blame at the feet of the people that are making the film, mm -hmm. but sometimes you just can't, it's not, it's, it's executives, bad decision-making. It's just, it's the business that affected event horizon in terms of what it could have been. Right now, no one's to say that that 130 minute movie or whatever they cut, whatever the edit would have been, would have been better than what we have, but it would be, it'd be nice to find, to get that so that we could actually get Anderson's vision of what he wanted the film to be. Sure. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that if people go back to this film, they're just, they're not so critical of it. Understanding that they had two hands tied behind their back when they made this film. Yeah, it's tough when we're poking. We poked a lot of holes, but a lot of the holes could be explained when you read about it. Hundred percent. It's still it's it's still watchable. There's still stuff that's decent in there. Everything that we talked about that we thought didn't work is we can directly and indirectly result of the lack of time and and the lack of and the and not the lack of but the uh, the amount of interference that this movie had to go through. Mm -hmm. So they just, they were unable to tell the story that they wanted to tell. And what you get is just a quickly cut up mess that resembles a movie in some fashion and some <laughs> stuff works, some stuff doesn't. Yep. But I can't blame anybody. Uh, even though we both talked about how we're not huge Anderson fans in terms of his directing style, and what other movies he's done. I can't put event horizon in that list because that's not on him. Exactly. Yeah. It's if you watch, Resident Evil and Monster Hunter and even Mortal Kombat. And you're like, that's Paul W.C. I'd be like, watch Event Horizon because it's not perfect, but this is a completely different director kind of than. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. This, uh, Like, I almost want to watch Shopping, I guess, was his first movie he did. Yeah. Uh, I've never seen it, but I don't know much about it. But I kind of want to see that to see like a director that I don't really enjoy. That's what Jude Law. It's got a, a couple of people. Yeah, it's uh, they rob. Uh, they rob grocery stores by uh, ramming the car into the front. They mm. drive the car right into the front of the car, of the store, and then they rob it. That's kind of the basis of what they're doing. But yes, all right. <laughs> I, yeah, like I yeah. still want to see it. Like it, that's what got him job. So if like you watch it, go, oh man, he's not like something about him got him in there. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, I think I think you might be right. I think maybe Event Horizon might be as close to the type of film that he wanted to make. Sure. I mean, maybe everything else is just kind of like pay for play kind of thing. Like, yeah, you're going to pay me money to do Resident Evil. Sure, I'll do it. You're going to want me to do another movie. You're going to throw money at me. Sure, I'll do it. That's probably because like Resident maybe. Evil 1 is way different than 2 and, you know, up to 30. I don't know how many freaking movies they made of Resident Evil. I don't, I 9, I track. think. Mm -hmm. But uh, even one, which isn't perfect, has a different style than the other ones. So it might just be like up the ante, up the ante, up the ante, up the ante, up the ante. <laughs> and it's just like so focus grouped out that it's barely a movie anymore. Kind of like fast and furious. Mm -hmm. So that might be a, a possible reason. Okay. That makes yeah. sense. Awesome. Hey, where can they find us? You can find us at ForgottenEntertainment.com or ForgottenCinemaPodcast.com. We are part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. So while you're there, check out all the other great podcasts, video series, all that good stuff that we have for you there. Uh, you can also find us on all the podcast platforms like Field said, or I said at the beginning. Um, like, rate, review, subscribe. All that stuff helps our channel grow. And uh, join us on the lobby on Facebook. Uh, Forgotten Cinema's The Lobby. It's where we talk about films. Let us know 
uh, how much you love the Resident Evil franchise <laughs> yeah. or uh, what you think of Event Horizon. I know that um, our friends at Pina Comics did this movie uh, earlier this year or last year, not that long ago. The Pint? The Pint. Yep, that's right. They changed their name. Pint. I'm sure I'm interested to see what they have to say and stuff like that. So let us know what you think of it. So you're going to go back and listen to that episode. And join us next week as season 14 ends, because obviously the last episode of Forgotten Horror is episode 13 of that season. And we do 13 episode seasons here. Uh, season 15 begins next week. We're going to be doing a movie from 1988 starring James Caan and Manny Patinkin. We're doing sci-fi again, but sci-fi action this time. The movie called Alien Nation, the movie that spawned a TV series that spawned five TV movies um, that James Caan was not in after. And Manny Patinkin had no no connection to whatsoever, but they did to Correct. this film, Alien Nation. That's what we're doing next week. Until then, everyone, have a great week. I am Mike Field. I'm Mike Butler. And this has been Forgotten Cinema. Wait! Forgotten Horror. Happy Halloween. Keep it spooky, y'all. We haven't done that in a while. Hey guys, just in time for Halloween, there is a new audiobook I did on Audible right now with writer Brandon Ford called Drowning in Oceans of Black. It's a horror mystery thriller book with mature themes. Check that out along with all the other horror books I did with Brandon Ford and other authors on my uh, Audible page. You can look me up, Michael Butler. Uh, that's Drowning in Oceans of Black or check out any of my other horror books, Coffee at Midnight, The Final Girl, Sour, uh, Progressive Entrapment. Check them all out. Thank you and have a happy Halloween.